Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 48. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Jack Mountain Bushcraft School founder and master main guide, Tim Smith. I'm your host, Tim Smith. I'm a registered master main guide, and in 1999, I founded the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School. We help people become more skilled, more knowledgeable, more experienced, and more confident outdoors by using traditional skills, a few simple tools, and field-based experience. Whether you're looking to go from city slicker to competent outdoor professional, want to experience a remote expedition, or just want to learn a few new outdoor skills, we've got you covered. You can check out the show notes to this and all of our podcasts at blog.jackmtn.com. When you're there, click on the podcast button. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Lastly, the best way to keep up with our programs and trips is to join our email newsletter. And you can do that at jmbnews.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 48. It is Wednesday morning. We're keeping up with our two episodes a week deal that we made with ourselves a while back. I'm joined by Christopher and David Callison from Gun Barrel City, Texas. David was just regaling me with tales of how the, the town was named and uh, named in 1969. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so it's like one year older than me. You know, I was expecting it was to be like named in the Old West and there were all these shootouts there. And not quite so much. A little different origin story. So uh, No, we have shootouts. <laughs> My a... question is, though, was it named that in the summer of 69? Ooh, <laughs> bad Brian Adams reference. Christopher must die. I know what I'm getting into. Sorry, David, go ahead. Yeah, it's a rather violent town. A lot of bars, a lot of meth. But uh, it's a wonderful place also because of the lake. Lots of bars, and I'm thinking I'm taking my kids there. Then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was named because of the... Uh, so Dave was just telling me they they built a big dam, flooded the big depression, made a big lake, and there's a narrow spit of land running down the middle. looks like a gun barrel. Well, it's not down the middle of the lake, but it runs the side of the lake. But it's down one highway that's about 20 miles long, but the town's probably only about five miles wide. So it's the shape of a gun barrel. And... Huh. Uh, what I've been told is uh, they had a competition, a contest to name the town, and uh, it was like a ten-year-old girl who, who won, awesome. came up with the name. Who's now sixty? Yeah, something like that. Probably sitting in one of the bars talking about it. She's <laughs> like, "Yeah, you like this town because I named it. I named it." Now Me. I don't, I don't know if that's true. That's just what I've been told. <laughs> I always love though. Uh, Odd-sounding towns, you know, and, you know, whenever I get introduced somewhere, I'll often lie about where I'm from. Um, there's a town in Maine called Misery Gore, and a gore in, in Maine was like they laid out square townships, right? And all the odd-shaped little pieces they referred to as gores, so, you know, to make it fit within the... So I always like Misery Gore as a, as a hometown. Even if, even if gore means what you think it means, they still named it Misery. Yeah, because like, it's called well, Misery Ridge. Right. But uh, one of my favorites all time, uh, and I'll do this whenever, you know, you go somewhere and you have to write on a name tag where you're from, and I'll often write Parts Unknown. That's a good one. Uh, and we are sitting here, Northern Maine, if you've ever looked at an atlas, Northern Maine is filled with townships they never bothered to name. It, it's, a, it's a grid of townships and ranges. So we are in Township 10, Range 5, 
W-E-L-S, which is west of the eastern line of the state. So the entire northwestern corner of Maine is all this, you know, Township 8, Range 5, Township 9, Range 5. So, yeah. Have we talked about why I can't read Stephen King anymore? No. Because of that? There are like three or four times in Stephen King's books where he references like someone dying up in Aroostook County in one of those towns that doesn't have a name, just numbers. Yeah. And now I live here. So I can't read it anymore because it's a little too real. So Masardis is incorporated <laughs> as a town, but we're right directly right. adjacent to all these other ones. So I'll often claim that I live in uh, 10 Range 5 or Township 10 Range 5 because if Masardis were not incorporated, that would be the numerical code for Masardis. So you can't find it on any map, and I use that just to... The, the point in it, though, and this will be the last I talk about it, but the point where I knew Stephen King had actually been up here at one point, I think it's in Pet Cemetery. He talks about some guy in Aroostook County dying by choking on a beer bottle cap. And I was like, yep, that he's been to the county. Yeah. He baby. knows. He gets it. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. David. Gun Barrel City, Texas. <laughs> David is currently on our, uh, a participant on our fall 2018 Wilderness Bushcraft semester. And he comes to us. Um, we're actually super happy to have him because he's maintaining this tradition we have of every year on our long programs for the past, I think, seven years. We've had an AT Appalachian Trail through hiker and David through hiked and you finished. When did you when did you finish the trail? I finished uh, first week in March, first week in March. And you traveled north to south, correct? Right. South Mountain. It's sort of against the against the grain that the majority of people would go south to north. Yeah. And and I'm. Um... I really recommend people going south for several reasons. Which are? Um, <clears throat> one, there's too many people going north. So uh, I had some friends that flipped, and they were with the northbounders. I said, how many people are you sharing a, a shelter, a campsite with? They said, usually about, usually it's filled up. Which is? Uh, oh, most of the shelters sleep about eight people, and that's uncomfortable to have a full shelter. And then you, you might have five or six tents around it. And for me, that's just too many people because a, a magic of the trail uh, in the past, before it was so popular, was being by yourself and really uh, experiencing what your mind does when you're when you're alone uh, in the wilderness. Uh, you don't want to necessarily be alone the entire time, but it's nice to have uh, a few hours at least where you're by yourself hiking. That's when hiking gets fun. It's when you're by yourself, no one's talking, you're... You're listening to the birds. You're seeing the animals. Uh, and then it's nice to have maybe one or two people around you when you come into camp, not not 20 people around you. Um, I would agree wholeheartedly. Mm. I, I paddle the vast majority of our paddling trips Sorry. in a solo boat, and that's like my alone time, right? That's the nice part of the day. You get up, you kind of you bullshit around the fire having coffee and getting packed, and then you get out in the boat, and, you know, I just like to be there kind of alone with my thoughts and, and taking it all in, right? Like watching for the animals, looking at nature, listening to the birds where, you know, humans are social creatures. If you put two of us together, even if we have nothing to say to the other person, we'll still talk. Sort of like this podcast. Yeah, where we just make noise <laughs> for no good reason. Blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. But, you know, when you're yeah. alone, you can get that, the silence. And I think that's, for me anyway, a huge draw of being out in the woods, on the river, on the trail, is just to get that, you know, those those moments where you're alone with your thoughts. Well, Absolutely. and there's some myths on, on the trail, um, some misunderstandings. And one, one of them is that going northbound, 
you have to be at the end terminus, Katahdin, uh, by middle of October. That's true. Because they closed down the state park, Baxter State Park, and Katahdin's in. Um, where southbound, they never shut down uh, Springer Mountain in Georgia. But there's this myth that you have to hurry up and beat winter. So there's this mad rush to get in by, say, December or early January. Um, and I came in in March. I started in July, but I took my time, went slow, and went through the winter. And yes, it's tougher, but it's still beautiful, and there's just no need to rush. You can even get off the trail uh, through the worst parts of winter and get back on. As long as you finish from one end of the trail to the other, um, within a year, you're a thru-hiker. Or you don't have to finish from one end to the other. You can finish it different ways. You can do what they call flip-flopping. You can start one direction, change directions, go somewhere else. And as long as you hike every inch of that trail, you're a thru-hiker. It doesn't matter when you get it done, as long as you get it done within that year. And so I'm really wanting people to get into the southbound deal because that will relieve some of the pressure of the northbounders. Because a lot of the pressure is the people that – that don't end up finishing. They quit by the time they get to North Carolina or Tennessee. If you put them up, they would quit by the time they get to New Hampshire up here, but you'd have less people total on the trail. So I'd I'd like to get that out there. And part of what I'm trying to do is write about my experience and let people know, hey, there's different ways to do this trail. You don't have to go northbound. Yeah. Uh, so I, I did actually, I was thinking about this since you talked about this the first day you showed up. Did you find, um, I'm sure you didn't, but I'm curious as to what, like, because Katahdin as like the end game, right? Right. North hiking, like that's a big, you know, you get to the top and it, it there's accomplishment, but I would yeah. be interested to hear you're talking about, because I know it's the same accomplishment at the other side. I'm just curious about what it, yeah. it's well, not as dramatic. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, but, I do have thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Katahdin is an awesome mountain. So when you get on top of the mountain, whether you're finishing or not, you get yeah. up on top of Katahdin, you're like, I just climbed a big mountain Exactly. Today. So it does have that awesomeness. And then the 100-mile wilderness that's just south of it is an awesome part, too. You hear that, Canada? If they didn't say, like, the 123-kilometer-mile wilderness. Hey, rest of the world, we invented something called the imperial system. It's time to get on board and ditch that antiquated metric BS. Sorry, I interrupted. Yeah. So what I noticed is I'm watching these northbounders pass, and they are just they're, the hundred mile wilderness to me is one of the most beautiful parts, and they're rushing through it. I'm taking seven, eight days to get through it. They're doing it in four, and I'm thinking these guys aren't having fun. All they care about is getting to to Katahdin because they've put six months in, and they're they're done. So they're not enjoying the mountain like I was enjoying the mountain of being fresh and, oh, my goodness, I'm getting to start on this thing. What I realized when I got to Springer Mountain on the other side down in Georgia is once I hit that last town and got my last resupply, because what you do is you don't think about the end. You just think about the next town, the next hamburger, the next beer, whatever it is. And then when you leave that town, you're thinking about the next town, and you enjoy it in between. But once you get that last town, now you're like, all right, it's the it's the terminus. Yeah. And when you get to that last say 100 miles there, it's you can't stop. You want to do only 15 20 miles, you do 25. It pulls you in like a magnet. And 
you're not enjoying the beauty that's around you anymore. It's just stale by that time. And so I think going through what I consider the most beautiful part in Maine to be stale, it's just not a good thing. No, that's sort of why I asked. I've talked to other people that have south. I, you know, I, I did part of it and talking to people that were northbound versus southbound. There's a very distinct difference in what they want out of it, I think. And that's exactly what you said, right? Where you're you're not in a rush. You're enjoying the trail. You're not having to uh, sort of push yourself to get to this point before. There's no, there's no like expiration date on when you can finish the trail. And I think that that's, yeah, it's interesting to hear your thoughts on it as well. So um, advice for people... Who are considering other than other than hike from north to south? Two other bits of advice that you would offer people who are considering jumping on the AT this coming year. My number one piece of advice is have yourself ready before you hike the trail. I saw so many people who were getting off the trail because they didn't have their finances in order, or they didn't have their family life in order. Uh, big things that that you have to get together because you're going to be gone for half a year, and that's difficult for most people to do so you need to plan a few years in advance and work towards that as your goal and have everything knocked out so you're not worrying about anything else except for enjoying that trail because basically it's a six month five to six month vacation but if you're thinking about other things you're not going to enjoy it and you're probably going to quit because you have those responsibilities that you haven't already taken care of. That's number one. We we see the same thing here on long programs, like a nine-week course, where people think, oh, I'll just throw everything on hold and show up in northern Maine, and all that stuff will take care of itself. Well, like newsflash, that stuff never takes care of itself, right? right? It will it will haunt you and sort of eat you alive. But So what's number two piece of advice? Well, when I got to Springer Mountain, I, I'm watching and... March is when a lot of the North Mounters are starting out, and I'm looking at these guys, and they're carrying 50 pounds of gear. I like to carry about 25. That includes my food and water, 30 max. And I'm thinking, did you not read a book? Did you not go on the Internet and go on YouTube? Because there's plenty of people telling you what to pack and how to go light, and these people think they're going to do things different. I, I don't understand that. Do your research. It's not that difficult you just need to read a little bit. You need to study a little bit. Find out what you got to do to get it done. Why waste precious time and money? And why have a backache from packing, trying to pack fifty pounds for two thousand miles? Because it's not going to work. Good advice. Is there any anything else? I know I just asked for two, but anything else? It's like I got to tell these well, people I, to get ready. For earlier, this. you were asking, not on the podcast, but uh, earlier today, you were asking my favorite part. And that is uh, in the 100-mile wilderness. There's a campsite called Antlers Campsite here in Maine. Uh, it's on a lake. It's just very beautiful. You get a big view of the lake. You get mountains in the background. Do you remember the name of the lake? Uh, no, but I could figure it out. Is it north or south of the uh, like the Hermitage? And... It's, it's whatever lake is close to that White House Landing. You know White House Landing? Oh, yeah, I do, actually. It's in, in that area. It's just north of there a little bit. White House Landing on Pema Dumcook, which is the terminus of the Debskinag, third Debskinag to Pema Dumcook portage. Or maybe it's south of there. It's in that area. But I'm just sure. just south of White, on the south arm of the lake, just east of, just west of White House Landing. I know, I don't know the names of the campsites. I know where they are. I'd have to look it up. It's close to that area. Yeah. Um, so I get to North Carolina, 
and I come upon a road crossing, and at this crossing, there's a a scenic vista, and this car pulls over, and they're wanting to talk to me. And this guy gets out, and he's got such a strong accent, I can I have to ask him a second time, what'd you say? And he says, are you a thru-hiker? And I, I said, man, you have a strong accent. What, are you from Scotland or something? He's like, no, I'm from Maine. <laughs> <laughs> so... Then I could I started recognizing the main accent and I could understand him. Um, well, if you'd come here first, you'd have been fluent. Oh well, I, yeah. <laughs> so you would, Bob. Oh, you you know you'd know just what they were talking about. Well, you, Christ, Christopher! <laughs> For those of you who don't know, there are at least three distinct main accents. Yep. There's like the Arusta County and St. John River accent. There's the very strong Down East accent, mm-hmm. and then. I don't even understand that, but geez, those people down to Portland. Well, that's south not of, even Maine. South of Route 2. <laughs> Might as well be New Hampshire. Christ, it, I think it's northern Massachusetts. Jesus. <laughs> All right, so this guy says, have you ever heard of Antler's Campsite? I said, yes, it's my favorite campsite in Maine. And he says, my great-grandfather, that was his fishing camp. Nice. And then awesome. his wife is beside him and she's, Yes, not only that, he proposed to me at Antler's campsite. Oh, cool. So, on the trail, these little weird things that are magical, that are too... They're, they're almost freaky. And you have to be on the trail to experience this. Yeah, I, you just trail don't magic. Get it. I've heard uh, of it. It's but... unbelievable. Uh, that's the true trail magic. A lot of people think it's like cookouts and people giving people, you know, hikers food. But the real magic is is that. Weird things that happen... You'll be thinking something. You'll come into town, and then someone will be talking about the random thing you were t- thinking about. That day. it's unbelievable. It's I don't know how to explain. I it. like to do my own little rendition of trail magic, where I got this junior magic trick kit, and I'll go stand out uh, on the side of the road where the trail crosses the road with a big black top hat on and a cape, and do like magic tricks. Do you bring your panel van with you? <laughs> no windows. <laughs> <laughs> with a sign on the side that says candy. Oh wow. <laughs> Trail magic inside. Yeah. <laughs> Trail magic. The Tim Smith version. Uh, uh, wow. That's pretty cool, though. So, obviously, follow-up question. Least favorite section of the trail. Somewhere you're like, you know, if I never see that place again, <laughs> it'll so, be too soon. I have to jump in before he answers this. That that laugh you just heard is why David is re- affectionately referred to up here as Giggles. Yeah. Well, and he didn't earn that name here. No, it was earned on the trail, but... So everybody on the Appalachian Trail earns a thru-hiker nickname. Is that, yeah, is that yeah. accurate? Your, your hiker name. So it's always these weird names, and mine just happens to be Reverend Lawrence Giggles. <laughs> I haven't heard the whole thing. That's fantastic. <laughs> it is pretty awesome. And I didn't understand the first part of it until we were pulling, and David was wearing his hat with the... Uh, your bug band, net. Yeah, the bug net behind it, and he looked like Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> And now I get it. It all makes sense. Yeah. So uh, I'm just south of Sam's Gap, Tennessee. That's where uh, it crosses over uh, an interstate. And um, there's this there's this neighborhood that the trail crosses a street. And there's a sign there. And it says, Laurel Mountain Hostel. Pizza, candy, all these goodies. And I'm like... <laughs> I'm like, hell yeah, I, I had plenty of food, but I'm like, I could really use, uh, you know, a candy bar or a piece of pizza or something. You're always starving uh, just because you burn so many calories. So 
it's kind of a drizzly, nasty winter day. And I, and I said, well, let's see if this place is open. And it's not on the guidebook, which, but there was another hostel that was on the guidebook. So I, I pull up to this place. I go inside this uh, small but new kind of shack looking thing for hikers. No one's there. But it's a neighborhood where even though the, there's a single wide just up the, the gravel driveway, I'm too scared to, to knock on it because it's a rough neighborhood. And then I walk down the street and I see this other hostel. It's been shut down and it's got like a bicycle in the front lawn uh, on its side and, and uh, just random crap just sitting in the lawn. And then I see this guy walking on the road. I'm like, excuse me, sir. He never turns around, but he like drops to one knee. He shakes his arm like a nut, gets up, twitches his head, and I said, "Oh no, I need to get out of here. I'm in Methland, or something. You know, oh, he's, he, this wow. guy is whacked out." And yeah. then I see this other guy digging through this burnt down barn, and, and I talk to him, and he's shaking his head, twitching around. It's like a, a zombie movie. When you say Methland, you're not. It's not a theme park. No, well, I, I mean, it could be if you're into that, you know. But anyway, I start talking to these people, and I get some food out of them, but believe it or not. But these other two meth people come up, and they're real serious looking. And I, I was paranoid for like five miles till I got away from that place. Yeah. But I, so I told everybody hiking, I said, do not pull off on that road. It was something, Rector Laurel Road. Don't mess around with that road. Rectal Laurel yeah, Rector. So, Rector. 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 <laughs> it's a very it's a very easy misunderstanding. Okay, okay, okay. But it's an important one. <laughs> so other than that, no, I didn't have any bad times at all. It was just beautiful. The whole place the whole trail was wonderful. Nice. Except for that one little spot. <laughs> yeah, the way you were describing it sounded like a Stephen King novel, weirdly enough. Yeah. It was bad. Yeah, it sounded like it. That's uh yeah. I don't know. Thankfully, I've never had to interact with. I've never been to like Methland, the theme park, or any of its affiliates. <laughs> I, I hear a lot about it, but uh, anyway. Do they have people in costumes like the big goofy, like Disney World? What would those be? I don't know. Oh, they had costumes. Like, all right, it'd be like somebody dressed up as fleet, like the, the meth fleas or whatever. There's no f- scratching. The the artist flea. Off of that band, Red, uh, Red Peppers. Yeah, they all look like him. <laughs> it's all circling together now. We're getting it. We're on track. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. So, I think uh, it would be safe for us to assume that that hiking the trail had a really powerful impact on your life and your kind of long-term plans with the idea that uh, that you're up here, you know, studying to become a, a guide and outdoor instructor and outdoor leader. Right. Uh, so so that would be a safe assumption? Like, yeah, that was a super powerful, life-changing experience? It, it was. Um, I didn't want to come off the trail, basically. I did, but at the same time, I didn't want to go back to a, a, a regular nine-to-five job where I'm really not happy uh, what I'm doing. And <clears throat> one thing I've learned is you're happiest when you're doing something you're already uh, naturally good at. And I've always been at home uh, in the wilderness, at home in, in the outdoors. And I've always had a knack for for doing those type of things, uh, the, the type of things we're doing here. Uh, and I'm learning a lot. Um, so, you know, you, you don't want LeBron James being a CPA, but you darn sure don't want your accountant going out there and trying to go against LeBron James, right? 
you got to do what you're good at. And um, math. No, well, no, I'm not there yet. Note to self: Fire LeBron James. He's no longer doing our books. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I said, you know, I need to find a job guiding or maybe instructing because I used to be a teacher uh, and and go that route because that's where I feel at home. Yeah. So so we're in the middle of week three of our nine week course here. We're sort of past the settling in phase. I think everybody is, is I don't know, settled. Uh, and I'm just curious, you know, how are you finding life here? You know, is it, and I always like to ask this um, because, because we do our own website, you know, we write up sort of, this is what to expect. And I'm always curious <clears throat> if what we say, here's what to expect kind of meets up with reality if, or if there are any big gaps between the two. Uh, I, I think most of it's what I expected. I, I didn't have a whole lot of expectations. I, I just knew that you were a reputable school, and uh, I didn't know much about, for example, uh, I really enjoyed making the hoop house that I'm living in. Did not expect that necessarily, um, that style. Hoop house is a shelter uh, that we make. It's usually the first shelter that we build uh, because most people show up here, we tell them to come with a tent and say if someone has a, a really tiny, like ultralight backpacking tent, just not comfortable to live in, and a hoop house you can scale up to the size of like a, an apartment. Uh, yeah. It's it's it's. I'm used to sleeping in a tent, of course. Uh, always been at home in a tent, but this is so much more comfortable. Yeah. Um, but just I, I've been impressed with the the interesting things I've learned that are useful. Um. And I can see where a lot of this would be useful if you're trying to go, you know, maybe homestead or something. I've always had an interest in that. For example, like the laundry hmm. uh, in a five-gallon bucket with basically a plunger, it works really well. Right. You know, and so I'm, I'm enjoying learning some of these things where you don't need a washing machine. It takes the same amount of time. You just got to wait for your clothes to hang. Um there's a lot of things I've learned in the last two weeks that are like that. I, I would have never dreamed I would be. If you said last year you're going to be making a, a canoe paddle, which is what we're working on now, I would have said, you're crazy. It, it looked like, uh, you know, a half a Momo put this thing together. But it's actually turned out really well because I have the proper tools. I, I never thought I would be using a draw knife or a spoke shave, these old basically antique sort of tools, but they're wonderful. Yeah. Uh, learning how to do things like that, I think are helpful, not just uh, in the back country, but uh, at home too. So it, it allows more freedom. That's what I love about it. Yeah. If I can so what you're talking about earlier about not wanting to come off trail um, and like that, the feeling you have when you're on trail, right? Where like you're engaged all day and all that stuff. I found that, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts, I found that living this way sort of scratches that itch because you're living, like every action you take is deliberate, right? Like you're talking about the laundry, like there's no passivity. Right. And I, I'm curious if you think that, or maybe it's, maybe I'm just reading it differently, but I want... That's, that's pretty much the only way I can live because I'm, yeah. I'm ADD. So if I'm <laughs> not doing something, then I'll be lazy. So I'm always having to push myself right. to... to to do things and so that it does it helps yeah. the way my brain is built that's an advantage for me yeah 
I'm just always curious what people think about those systems that sort of keep you, uh, like everything you, everything we do up here, like you have to put in, like Tim says all the time, like we're the only engine up here. Like your body is what gets work done. And I'm curious if that, yeah, I was just curious if that scratched the same itch that hiking every day. Yeah, it does. It's, it's, it's similar. Yeah. Uh, You have, all you got to do to hike is put one foot in front of the other. (laughs) So it's not necessarily the same type of workload. Mm-hmm. But when you at the end of the day, it's the same amount of tired. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes when I'm doing these projects that we're doing, I get into the the flow state. I get into the zone, yeah. and that's a magical point. Agreed. Um, that's enjoyable. I think one thing that I uh, it's not difficult yet, but we have a really good group here. We have nine students, and especially. We have seven that are cooking together, you know, throwing their money in together and, and take, sharing responsibilities. We have a, a difference in age group. We have quite a few people who are around uh, 20 years old. And then we have a few people that are in their 30s. And the people that are in their 30s kind of watch after the 20-year-olds, make sure they get some things done, you know. Mm-hmm. But the, the whole group dynamic, dynamic uh, is something that I'm not quite used to. But it hasn't been a problem. But yesterday, I, I wasn't feeling so hot mentally. And I had to go before class. I just had to go off into a trail and walk. Yeah. And cool off and say, you know, you're not quite used to being around people. It wasn't that anybody did anything. It, I, I was so used to having my own personal time. And that being a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And now you're just around somebody all the time. So that's something that I'm kind of getting used to. It's definitely a challenge. And I think we talk about that a lot that, you know, you, uh, and this is the same for any sort of organized trip, any organized class that you have this idea of going to the wilderness, coming all the way to Northern Maine. And then you're almost around people more than you are in your day to day life at home. And that's always a challenge. So in answer to your question about something I expected, I kind of expected what I'd already experienced. And that was more lone wolf style of stuff and that's just not the way it is because it's a school you're gonna have people around you and and that's a great thing too because part of uh guiding or instructing is being around people and knowing how to handle those situations interpersonal skills are and like like i said this group so far has just gotten gotten things done and and behaved well and really enjoyed each other so it's been great but it it, but it's something i wasn't quite expecting right um so of the stuff that we've done um you mentioned you really enjoyed the shelter anything else that we've done so far that really jumped out at you like wow that's cool i want to do more of that like whether it's the crafting the studying the the natural world the plants the stars um you know the fire the cooking is there any one thing or is it all just more the 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 totality of the experience right now the totality of it but one thing i've learned is uh my two things that I'm into are, are hiking and canoeing. Uh, so it, guiding, I, I, that would be where I would want to do it. Uh, but I've learned some things that I could do that could be taught, say, in, say you took a a week-long canoe trip. There's some things that I could teach that we've learned here within a short period of time that would just be a blast for a paying customer, and they'd come, they'd walk away from it saying, "Oh my God, I made that! This is this is awesome!" And and you, I don't think I think that's something that 
that is a new frontier in guiding is some of the things I'm, I see online, people are getting very interested in bushcrafting. So I think that could be a real advantage to a guide of some of the things that could be whipped up in a few hours that are really special for the person that I'm learning some of that thing, some of those things. And I've only been here for two and a half weeks. We'll, we'll see what else I'll learn, but I've, I already have some things in the back of my mind of, okay, maybe we need to go over that on a, on a guiding tour. Yeah, definitely. And it's, as a guide, like I'll say that there are always going to be rainy days with lightning where you're stuck on shore or you're not going to summit the, to the top of the mountain. So you've got to keep people sorted out and to some extent entertained yeah. in camp. And that's what the handcrafts, yeah. you know, all the, you know, the, the lore of the plants and the stars and the weather, all those things <clears throat> are, they're super useful, practical skills, but you know, from a little bit different perspective, they can be used as a time management and or keep people entertained tool. Right. Which from a from a people management perspective is is super useful. Yeah, some of it, uh, it's, for us, it's true stuff that keeps you safe or keeps your life uh, easier, you know, using constellations and such to navigate by. That's important. But on a guide trip, that's just cool to people. Right, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I think a lot of it just has to do with how you present it. You got to present it in a cool manner. You, I've been on so many stuff where they point up to a constellation; it's boring as hell. But the other night, it was pretty cool when you were talking about some of the stuff because you had the story behind it. So one of the things I'm learning is not only know the thing, but get the story that's behind it, understand mm-hmm. the history of it, and then you got something you can work with. Yeah, yeah. We talk a lot around here about how. Uh, I think they're up at 350,000 years of anatomically modern humans, brains same size as ours. If they knew the language and somebody from 350,000 years ago walked in, like we wouldn't be able to tell that they weren't one of us, right? And through almost all of those generations up until the last handful of generations, we transmit knowledge and information from one generation to another by story. That it's only very recently that we try to use science and facts to transmit information. And, you know, for the most part, it's sort of a dismal failure. I mean, a very, there's a small slice, like a small cross-section of, of modern society who will absorb information that way. But most people, like, there's no recall. You don't remember facts, right? If you give me a list of, like, you know, think it's like high school history and there's, like, a timeline and you're supposed to memorize what happened on what date. Like, who cares? But if you weave it into a good story, you know, like you can't forget it. It's just the way that our brains are wired. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, story as an instructor, as an entertainer is everything. Like find me a Hollywood movie that made a bunch of money that was about facts. Like Alpha. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. There isn't one. There isn't one. But I get it. Yeah. Anyway long-winded uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be off on a rant if we start talking about that <laughs> tim and i saw a movie last night weren't impressed it was called alpha it was like bad primitive skills bad firecraft yeah don't 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 go see a movie about paleolithic times with a uh, college trained anthropologist it, it's <laughs> oh you see that that part's fake that well part's actually <laughs> anyway it was not uh yeah the, the story just it just wasn't the dog was cute the dog was cute. It was pretty. Uh, but yeah, the story was like hardly believable. Yeah. I don't know. If you've read, I don't know, 500 books on northern exploration and what happens when people fall through the ice in the Arctic, 
They don't just show them in the next scene next to a tiny fire. Naked, cuddled up to a dog. Somehow out of the wind. Yeah. Like, no, they die. That's when people die. Anyway, uh, I guess rant over. Yeah, well, we, we should do a movie review podcast at some point. That would be fun. Yeah, it would be fun for us. No one yeah, no one would it. like it. It would just be bitter and angry. It's the movie review podcast, We're... also known as the Bitch Fest. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've probably squandered enough time this morning and probably start doing something useful with our day. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, thanks, David, for being on. We'll we'll revisit this with you uh, later in the semester. I'd love to like, you know, kind of get your uh, updated how are things going sort of uh, and settling in and, you know, what's jumping out at you later in the course. Yeah. And plans for the future when you leave. I'd love to hear more about that i know you and i've discussed it before but i think that'd be a cool thing to talk about sure would love to awesome uh that if we're still on speaking terms the odds of that are like one maybe two percent uh we'll see you know week five is coming up quick man that's when stuff goes crazy i'm telling you so anyway thank you david for sharing all your appalachian trail insights uh thank you christopher for refilling my coffee cup halfway through that's basically my whole job up here (laughs) And thank you to you out there in podcast land for completely wasting a half hour of your time listening to us prattle on about things that uh, could be questionable, of questionable use. And remember, if you're ever in just south of Sam's Gap in Tennessee, stay away from Rector. <laughs> Laurel Rector Road. Laurel Rector Road, a.k.a. Methland. Not a good place to be. But if you're somewhere south of Sam's Gap in Tennessee and you're looking for meth, Look for Laurel Rector Road. <laughs> Laurel, that's where you're going to find it. And cut. We're done. We're not going any further. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this, please tell somebody or leave us a review wherever you listen to it, and we'll hit you back in a few days. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.